Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin and get situated. Did I happen to mention to you that I finally finished Seth Graham Smith's The Last American Vampire? I've been busy, so I haven't got as much reading time available as I'd like. I found it a satisfying read, although it did have a real League of Extraordinary Gentlemen of the Vampires sort of feel. What might have been the most noteworthy is that the biggest chunks of time I had reading it was while donating blood. I've got the rare type, so giving platelets and plasma can be an hour and a half or so. The story does include vampires, which puts it in the horror category, but despite the murders, disembowelments, and an endless spilling of blood, doesn't have much in the way of fright or scares. Still, give it a go. It's a fun read. My next read will be Nick Cutter's The Deep. It's a bit longer, but I hope to have a bit more free time for leisure reading, and I hope you've had some time for reading as well. Let's get into our stories, listeners. First, a rare bit of flash fiction. J. Robert King is the award-winning author of over 20 novels, most recently The Shadow of Rickenback Falls and The Mad Merlin Trilogy. Fifteen years ago, Rob founded The Illiterates, a cabal of writers in the Midwest and West Coast of the U.S., 
Rob also often takes to the stage, starring in a local production such as the complete works of William Shakespeare, Abridged, and Arsenic and Old Lace. He lives in Wisconsin with his lovely wife, three brilliant sons, and three less-than-brilliant cats. And now, J. Robert King's Surgeon. Pepper had made an excellent surgeon. His short, oiled hair never remained behind in his patients, and his lean, compact body tirelessly bore him through eight, even ten-hour surgeries. But his best trait was his beagle nose, which could locate carcinomas and sarcomas faster than any human hand. And Pepper had a tight snout, small white teeth and a fastidious appetite that made quick work of anything diseased without ever even touching healthy tissue. That was in the abdominal cavity, of course. He'd never done brain surgery before. Despite the daily displays of canine life-saving in police and fire departments, despite the long history of canine doctors going back to the dogs that tended Lazarus's wounds, no dog had ever had a brain pan open to him, not even the eminent neurologist Dr. Spot at the University of Chicago. Specious arguments said the human brain was the one thing dogs most envied in Homo sapiens, and given the chance, they would sabotage any brain open to them. Nonsense, the medical community insisted, and Dr. Pepper was the first of his kind to benefit from their advocacy. He had waited patiently through the anesthetization, the shaving, the cutting away of flesh and muscle, the sawing and snapping of the skull, the mapping and taking of the brain. It had been six hours already, and perhaps that's what made the difference. Or maybe it was the patient was still awake, still muttering as they prodded and lifted. Or perhaps there was a nurse in heat. But when Pepper mounted the surgeon's stand, he gave the gelatinous brain one sniff, determined it was all bad, and set to work. He had swallowed the left temporal and entire frontal lobe before the nurses and techs laid mutinous hands on him to pull him back. One even kicked him in the ribs. Bad, doctor. Bad. Bad. That was J. Robert King's Surgeon, as read by John Grills. The term jack-of-all-trades doesn't really apply to John, mostly because he refers to himself as a seven, maybe eight, of clubs at best. On top of narrating, John has five novels of his own, including his Crazy Town Mystery series, and has three more novels in the works. Husband, father, technical writer, Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, and podcaster of his own jiu-jitsu after dark weekly podcast. One of these days, John even thinks he could move up and be a solid nine of diamonds. Our second story, a bit longer, but still brief. A. Christopher Kennedy lives in Southern California, but grew up in Petaluma, just north of the San Francisco Bay. Apologies to pronunciation for other folks in that area. He works in the video game industry, writing and editing game screenplays. This is his first published work of short fiction. A. Christopher Kennedy's 24 and a Bottle of Rye I'm going to destroy myself with booze. Why the hell not? In every bottle there are a thousand dreams. Dreaming is a lost art these days. You won't find dreams being had on Tumblr or Reddit. Memeing has killed dreaming, in a way. The more we train our minds to accept the repetitive and the familiar, the minor alterations, 
the more the bold and the furious rebellions frighten and alienate us. That's why I drink, to make the alien familiar again. Call me Maxwell. I pull bodies up from the bay after they fall off the Golden Gate Bridge. You'd think it's disturbing, but it's not. I understand why they do it, the jumpers. The world is becoming a labyrinth. For some of them, jumping is the only way they can find peace. The fall, of course, is terrifying. The few who have survived all say that. But there has to be something about dying with the most beautiful city in the world staring you in the face. Something spectacular that makes it worth it in the end. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep doing it. Twenty-four a year. I don't think of the rest of them as often as I should when I drink. They were people, too, beautiful, each an endless library of stories of dreams unclaimed. When I do remember the others, bloated and pale as the moon, it isn't pain or regret I feel, only a fleeting curiosity. None of them could be talked out of it. The ones who can don't jump. At least that's the way she explains it. I've been a Marin County coroner for six years. I've worked the bridge for three. I don't remember the faces, except for one. Hers. You may find that odd, but the reality is one human face becomes hard to distinguish from the next once it's been in the bay for more than ten or twelve hours. I'd like to say we find them all, but the ocean was the first god of this world for good reason. It has a will we can't comprehend. They wash up on the rocks, Fort Point or Chrissy Beach. Sometimes they sink and get swept out to the Pacific side if they're still alive after the initial splash. The dead float better than the living, and it's hard to tread water with a shattered spine. They belong to all walks of life. Whites, blacks, Asians, park rangers to hedge fund managers. They all come here to jump, to leap off into that blue abyss and feel true flight for the very first time, the liberation that always outran them in the labyrinth. Her words, not mine. Usually the crotch of the pants gets blown out on impact, Hitting water from that high up is, after all, like diving face-first onto a highway from a mile above. Not with her. She was naked when she jumped. SFPD found no signs of foul play. She had her bottom lip pierced with a ring and barbells through her nipples and clitoral hood. She had big bedroom eyes and shoulder-cropped hair dyed neon blue. Pulling her onto the sand was the only time I can remember in the last three years that I've physically cringed in the field. Like that deep burning swig you've needed to take for years, but that still burns you on the way down because you were never fully prepared. She chokes up a laugh when I ask her why, says, I was never meant for the ground. A free bird should fly. It always feels wrong. I can't see her breath. She was so cold. But the water running from the corners of her mouth, that seems right. 
the oily sheen on her skin. Nothing lives in the bay below an inch or two of the surface, every bit of it's toxic and polluted. Her hair matted and stiff like frost, her eyes, oh God, her eyes. I prayed for a year about those eyes. The Catholic Church has made a fortune in quarters off those eyes. When I catch them in the mirror, I start to wonder about her. I ask her things. Her eyes don't track their subject the way a living person's do. Like a mannequin's eyes, they're just plain old-fashioned matter, nothing to animate or summon them to motion. And they'll always be there, dead straight and set on me, shining from a frigid, dune-white face. As predictable as the ratio of jumpers to months in the year, she washes from every mirror, every pane of every window, every puddle after it rains, every background of every call I make through Skype. My wife gets nervous when I talk about her. Max, she says, always with the Max. You're scaring me. I think you need AA. And I'll say, I don't have the time. Within a week, I'll have another jumper to deal with, and I'm not even close to done booking the last one. As cyclical as a bridge suicide, this argument unfolds. My wife can't see her. Part of me knows I can't either in reality, but that doesn't make her disappear. My wife hasn't seen what I have, doesn't know what's down there in the depths of the drink. My wife didn't pull a young girl out of the bay with black pools in her eyes and a lifetime of laughter silence in a single gout of seawater trickling from her lips. My wife doesn't believe in ghosts. There are wet footprints darkening the floor. I tell my wife I took a shower and didn't dry off well enough. I tell her the footprints are mine. She asks, How much have you had, Max? To which I chuckle, then start to cry. She tells me, This hell you're in, you do it to yourself. And she gets up to leave to go to the grocery store, says she needs to clear her mind. And maybe she's right. Maybe I did ask for this, for the bay to spit back its jumpers into every crack of my waking reality, when I chose this as my profession. But maybe it was the other way around. Maybe it's they who chose me. They will still be here when the booze is gone. In the fleeting traces of my dreams, the flames of the church candles, in the ruddy silence of a long drive... It's only in drink that they come out into the open to tell me their reasons, and I will listen. Hers in particular, her with the piercings and the dyed blue hair. I'll go to work tomorrow nursing the hangover I'm brewing now, pushing images of her purple lips and pale gel eyes to the back of my mind so I can finish booking the latest poor soul who thought four seconds of freefall could liberate them from a lifetime of pain. And a week or two from now another one will jump and I'll have to pull them from the steel blue maw of the San Francisco Bay. 
When it comes to fresh bodies, the bridge is an infinite giver. Twenty-four a year. Twenty-four drowned deep in their bottles of rye. Twenty-four who fall because free birds should fly. That was A. Christopher Kennedy's 24 and a bottle of rye is read by Martin Rato. In a variegated working life, Martin has been a parent, a technical writer, and a software developer, a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communication, symphony musician, and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. Our longest of our short stories this evening comes from Liam Kruger. Liam Kruger has had award-winning stories, essays, and poetry in a range of online and print journals, including The Rumpus, The Eel, Playboy, Aerodome, 3AM, and Pro Frock. Some of that writings ended up in anthologies like Afro-SF, Science Fiction by African Writers, by Storytime Press, The Ghost Eaters and Other Stories from Umuzi, and Bloody Satisfied from... Media. For the past little while, he's taught and written and studied in Cape Town, but now he's sort of traveling. Occasionally he gloats about that on Instagram. And now, Liam Kruger's A New Lease. You know, in Jewish homes, there used to be a tradition of emptying out every dish, pot, and basin out of the windows when somebody died. Calm down. Try and take some deep breaths. This was done to tell the neighbors that Uncle Abe had kicked the bucket. The spiritual explanation was that souls could be trapped by water and that keeping water under the roof prevented them from rising to heaven. I know it feels like you can't breathe. Don't worry about it. Push through. You're not going to be able to talk for a couple of minutes but you seem to be able to hear well enough. Why, look at that. Your eyes are moving. High tolerance, I see. Don't worry about it. You're not dying. I used to live here too. Alone, like you. One of the biggest problems, I think, about living alone is adapting to a world where everything is under your sole influence. Don't you think... After a childhood, an extended childhood, of feeling other people's warmth in the chair I just sat down in, there were few things quite as depressing as coming home after a long day of pretending to know what I was doing to find my crusty cereal bowl in the sink, exactly as I left it after breakfast. So naturally, I was rather pleased when I found out my new place was haunted, just like you. The realization was a gradual one. I blush to think of it now, but there must have been weeks when I meandered up and down my hallway in various states of undress, probably scratching myself as if no one was there. Wait, that's not quite right. No one was there. What I thought was that there wasn't anyone there, which is different. But it was the little things that tipped me off, you know? 
Lights being on when I was almost certain I'd left them off. Beds being made or unmade. Footsteps in the room next door. Which seemed reasonable at first, because the walls between these apartments are paper thin, as you know. It was worse when I first got here. I could sit in the middle of my living room and hear the couple in number 15 fuck or fight, while the lady in number 11 tried to telemarket from home. The footsteps were coming from a room in the apartment, though, a fact that only bobbed to the surface of my consciousness after I'd figured it out. Obviously, poltergeist wasn't the first thing to jump into my head. The age we lived in, I was almost certain my flat was being broken into. I crept downstairs, holding my umbrella like a baseball bat, or like I supposed a baseball bat was held every second or third night for about a week. Then I'd sit in the dark for 10, 20 minutes, waiting for whoever else was there. Because I could tell by the tensing of my bladder that there had to be someone else there to leap out, stabbing or shrieking or however it was the burglars operated. The lack of sleep started getting to me, though, and I realized I didn't have anything worth stealing, so I learned to ignore the sounds. Please, stop rolling your eyes like that. It's distracting. I've told you, you are not dying. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The realization came when I saw that my books were disordered. I was nursing a rather nasty burn on my forearm 
from when the stove had unaccountably turned itself on while I was cleaning it. My boss instructed me to take a few days off because our uniforms are short-sleeved and the customers don't like their food being handed to them by somebody with a nasty, seeping bandage like that. I said sure and took my time looking at the books I hadn't read. I didn't really have time to read back then, but I made sure they were in sequence so that I would know where to find them if I found the time. You're not a very big reader, are you? You've got a row of empty beer cans where I kept my biographies. No matter. Anyway, it was when I found the Borges tucked in behind Grisham that I knew something was up. I didn't have any idea what to do about it, though, would you? Of course you wouldn't. You didn't. I mean, I couldn't exactly go around the apartment waving a birthday candle and compelling my secret roommate with the power of whomever. I don't believe in that stuff. And I wasn't about to go for one of those blood-in-bones Sangoma exorcisms, either. For one thing, I wouldn't know where to find one, and... Christ, do you have any idea how awkward that conversation would have been? I bristle enough as it is every time my brother calls a car guard chief, and here I am, trying to get a witch doctor to play pagan African superstitious eye for the skeptical but attempting to be open-minded guy? Not happening. Besides, it's not like anything had happened to warrant eviction. More on that later, mind you. So I did nothing. For a while. The impact on my life wasn't all that significant. I mean, I took far more care with heated appliances, certainly. But otherwise, I, I did entertain guests less frequently, but that wasn't any great change. On the rare occasion that I did bring a bunkmate home, I was so intensely aware of the fact that I was being watched, that my performance suffered considerably. So that well sort of dried up. Figuratively. Well, literally too, I suppose. But really, I welcomed the company, taciturn though it was. The solution to my problem? The ghost-in-our-house problem? Came from my grandmother, which was as much of a surprise to me as anyone. She was staying in the spare bedroom for the weekend. The room you offered to that drunk friend of yours before you two inevitably ended up together in the master. One of Alma's old friends was being buried in town, and she wanted to flaunt her continued survival where possible. Grandmother was terrified of the big city and all of the crime in it. I was almost certain she would be woken up by the scraping of chairs going on in the empty dining room and start asking unfortunate questions. Luckily, any sounds getting into her room were drowned out by her snoring, and later her alarm clock, which also failed to wake her. Still, my grandmother, like many other grandmothers, I suspect, claimed to have some sort of second sight. Apparently, grandfather swings by for a chat every few weeks and my parents old house is haunted by a little spanish girl naturally i wanted to know if she was picking up on any sort of presence over here i didn't want the question to be too transparent though or else 
she'd just have said yes to maintain her image. We were sitting in the lounge. My furniture wasn't as nice as yours is, but I think the couch was a little more comfortable. I'm curious about who lived here before me. I hazarded, because my conversations with grandmother were awkward enough to sustain statements like that. Yes, she replied. I wonder how much their rent was when the neighborhood was better. Well, that's true, I said, watching that hanging light bulb in the kitchen swing back and forth behind her. But I was thinking more about their identity, like how I could get to know about a person who was previously living here. She looked at me for some seconds, eyebrows arched and lip twitching as if on the verge of some great veil-breaching revelation, and said, I don't know. Check the Googles or something. She shrugged and picked up a copy of people to start on the crossword. So I checked the Googles. I wasn't exactly an online savant like you, but it didn't take much more than death and the name of the neighborhood to bring up a series of obituaries from the local paper. About half of these were families reporting the tragic death of their pets, a disproportionate amount of which were beagles named Snoopy. The human deaths were about as cliched. K.S., female, 18, died in a car crash on the way home from a matric farewell. G.D., male, 23, took own life. E.W., female, 61, passed quietly in her sleep after a long battle with cancer. J.T., male, 43, died of injuries sustained during armed robbery and route to hospital. It was so unbelievably typical. I was convinced that I was going to be stuck with some dull working class ghost. And then her entry caught my eye. I can see you know which one I'm talking about. C.A., female, 24, overdosed on painkillers and wine. It was a little contrived, yes, but there was something romantic about the wine. Oh, I willed my ghost to be her. A little bit of digging got you further than I did. You found the coroner's report. Clever duck. So you heard about the cigarette burns all up and down her arm, and the tattoos. I only heard about that later, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But she seemed interesting, to be sure, and a quick trawl through Facebook later, I had her name and her face. Are you on Facebook? I shall have to find out. Her online profile had become a little shrine after she died. Friends who obviously knew nothing about the circumstances of her death were throwing condolences and eulogies at her unmanned profile now, numerous and sentimental as graveyard flowers. Like you, I ignored these at first, scrambling first through her photo albums, madly seeking some sort of tangible proof. Here, a generic beachside landscape. There, a black and white deck chair. A pile of bottles next to a familiar corner. And, ah, 
a photograph she had taken herself standing in this very bathroom of her reflection in that mirror. She'd cropped her hair short and had the camera placed in front of her protectively like a talisman. It was her. It had to be her who was haunting me. And now I had found her. I found more over time, her Facebook profile revealing even at a cursory glance became like an encyclopedia under my scrutiny. I know which books she read, which music she'd liked, where she'd worked, who her co-workers were. I bought the books, played the music, visited the mediocre restaurant with the remarkable mojitos. Is this not sounding familiar? The ghost girl's reconstructed life? Of course it is. I think you might have been more desperate than I was to convince yourself that the girl had lived here. Don't worry, she really did. I have to hand it to you. You really dove headfirst into the project. There were some aspects to the arrangement that I put off. Even as I teased out the barest details of her life, I didn't want to be seen buying a Ouija board, I told myself. I think I was reluctant to try and communicate. Nerves, you know. Not you, of course. You went right out and got everything you might need to talk, didn't you? Not that you ever talked to her. I am sorry about that. When I got desperate enough to think it might work, we used the mirror to communicate. It, it seemed appropriate. I remember the routine well. I'd turn on the shower, not even touching the cold faucet, just letting it get as hot as it could, waiting for the surface to steam up. It wouldn't happen every time, but it's a small apartment. There are only so many places for a ghost to be. I'd feel that tingle in the back of your mind that we both know so well by now, and I'd say, Hello. Fingers that weren't fingers would press themselves to the glass and write in a fluid, almost curling style. Hello yourself. She was blithe, even as a ghost, especially as a ghost. Would it be wrong of me to say that I coveted her then? It wasn't like your relationship, and your relationship was sweet enough with the awkward entreaties to undying love and all that. I loved her, of course, but I loved what she had managed to make herself into. Mourned by people who hadn't spoken to her in months, even before she died. Beloved by people who had not been as fond of her in life. She tethered all these hearts to her grave with some pills and a bottle of wine. I was awed. It's no big deal, she'd written. And through the steam, I was sure I saw a shrug of those angular shoulders. I don't mean to belittle what you felt, dear. I'm sure you thought you loved her very much. She'd have appreciated the sentiment. From here, I think the story should become very familiar. I didn't leave the house very much after first contact. I had money enough to last a while, so I stocked up on wine and candles, and that was that for a time. I sang praises to the ghost girl, constantly in her company, 
talking and laughing at the gross world of the living. I don't think I ate for a week. Later, she told me she'd come to regret the suicide attempt. She still called it an attempt because, well, I'm still here, aren't I? She'd said that she'd had time to think things over, and once she'd done all the things ghosts can do, the big ones like flying and the little ones like reading every book in the house without blinking, she'd began to miss the stuff of life. That spoiled her for me a little, but it didn't really matter by then. I had become transfixed, wrapped around her gossamer fingers. Having felt the power she wielded, I can't bring myself to get angry at her anymore. You'll understand. We made love, eventually. I'd gotten very drunk, and the last threads of daylight were creeping out under the curtains. Without apparent thought, I found my hand sliding down past my navel. It struck me that I wasn't entirely in control of my hand stirring, and that the nerves were jerking a little, like a frog with a current through it. You are, of course, familiar with the sensation when your hand becomes someone else's glove, and when your eyes are seeing for someone else. There's that vague sense of panic, and the rush that comes with it. I'm afraid I didn't have the same rush of virginal shame that you wallowed in, but there's nothing especially wrong with that. You came around. It felt good. When it was dark enough, the tongue in my mouth might not have belonged to me for a few minutes at a time. Test driving, it's called. She didn't tell me that through the mirror, though. Like you, I said that I loved her. And like you, I was eventually asked to, to prove it. I think it was easier to make you do it. I hadn't been struck by any thoughts of the immortality of love, more by the spectacle, the ruined car crash lives she'd left behind, making a clean exit. It took convincing. She told me that we could escape the confines of the apartment, that we could be united in spirit, that I would never be out of shape. If that last one didn't convince me, it did make a difference. I think I should have grown suspicious around the time that she started making very specific instructions about how to go about killing myself. I'd wanted to go with a hanging, that rafter in the dining room would have been excellent for it. Pills and wine in the bathtub, she'd said. Like me. Like you. So I'd sat there, feeling my body grow numb and weak as my muscles stopped listening to my screaming, panicked brain and felt myself stepping out for a moment. Calm down said a voice that didn't disturb a single atom, but which I could still hear. Try to take some deep breaths. My rolling, thrashing ghost eyes stopped for long enough to see her, perfectly composed down to the cigarette burns on her arm, floating a few feet above me and my body, which was twitching. I know it feels like you can't breathe. Push through it. She smiled at me and sank into my body. 
I can only imagine what the look on my face must have been like. It's probably a little like the look on your face. Except it's my face now, isn't it? The first thing she did when she had control of my body was throw up. It seemed the dosage of pills and wine that she'd prescribed, which, incidentally, is the dosage of pills and wine I advised you to take, would be enough to push me to the edge without quite killing me, providing ample opportunity for a somewhat more experienced ghost to step in and take control, which she knew she was capable of after those late-night test drives. You mustn't be mad at me. It's not like you ever checked to ask your ghost's name. She told me about the Jewish tradition as she was washing her face, my face, in the mirror. About the friends that had decided they loved her after she died. About how it was time to reconnect, even if it meant using my body. I hadn't wanted it anyway. I do feel a little guilty, obviously. She had stolen my grand gesture from me. No online shrine. No mourning relatives. I suppose I've stolen something from you. I didn't mean to deceive you, Duck, but would you have fallen in love with me if I hadn't let you believe I was her? Would you have given up this lovely body? Well, nothing a diet won't make lovely like I gave up mine. Don't moan like that, little ghost. There will be someone else coming along soon. It's a nice apartment. I won't tell the new tenant about the scraping chairs or the dripping faucets. You'll have a chance, like me. Then you can tell me how wrong I am. That was Liam Kruger's A New Lease, as read by Maurice Dezo. Maurice is a self-proclaimed bedroom musician who lives in Littleton, Colorado, with his wife and son. During the boring work hours, he fills his time endlessly listening to podcasts and grinding away at a local machine shop. When he isn't at work, he can be found pressing records in his home studio, drumming along to a new riff or sipping on a pumpkin spice latte at kid's temperature. You can reach him at mauricedazo at gmail.com 24 hours a day. Link will be in the show notes. And that will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Our show was produced by our editors, Philip Oldham and Scott Silk, and theme music by David Raiklin. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.